and we're going to finish the chapter this morning talk about one of my favorite topics, and that is money. Woohoo! So everyone get out your wallets. No, just kidding. Some people are like, I don't want to go to a church that continues to ask for money, right? Well, good news is we don't talk about money. We don't talk about giving. Here's how we talk about this topic. It's called generosity. And it's not about what we want from you. It's what we want for you. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you know, like, I, I, I love, I talk to pastors who hate talking about this topic. And I'm like one of those guys, like, if I could talk about it every Sunday, I would. And in a way, we do talk about it every Sunday because we serve a generous God. God models generosity, and he spared no expense to love us by sending his only son to die for us. How awesome is that? And so the gospel and generosity are linked together. And yet, some of us haven't clued into this yet. Some people haven't clued into the idea that generosity is, is, is the heart of God. Giving and finances is connected to that. And the Bible talks about this topic a lot. And again, it's not about what we want from you. It's what we want for you. But too many of us probably feel like what happened years ago when Cards Against Humanity decided to do a Black Friday deal, and that is dig the holiday hole. So if you don't know about Cards uh, uh, Against Humanity, it is a card game they define for horrible people. How many of you have played this game before? So it's a card game for horrible people. So some of you are like, ooh, I'm interested now. You've piqued my interest. So um, card game for horrible people. So you can only imagine what they're going to do when it comes to a Black Friday deal. And so they came out Black Friday a few years ago and said, we're going to dig a holiday hole. Some of you are like, what's a holiday hole? I feel a holiday hole in my heart. I feel a holiday hole in my, my life. So what they did is they said, we're going to dig a giant pointless hole in the ground. And as long as people are willing to pay for it, we're going to keep digging it. Well, Cards Against Humanity collected over $100,000 to dig a purposeless hole in the ground in a location that they never disclosed. And I think what was most shocking is that people put money towards something that had no purpose. So Cards Against Humanity was interviewed about why they did this, and you'd be curious to to hear some of the responses to, to some of the questions. I just want to read a, a few of them. So they were interviewed, and they say, what's happening here? And they said, Cards Against Humanity is digging a holiday hole. Is this real? They said, unfortunately, it is. Where is the hole? In America and in our hearts. Is there some sort of deeper meaning or purpose to the hole? No. What do I get for contributing money to the hole? A deeper hole. Where, what else are you going to buy? An iPad? Why aren't you giving all the money to charity? Why aren't you giving all this money to charity? It's your money. Is the hole bad for the environment? No, it's just a bunch of empty land. Now there's a hole there. That's life. How am I supposed to feel about this? You're supposed to think it's funny. You might not get it for a while, but sometime next year you'll chuckle quietly to yourself and remember all the business about the hole. How deep can you make this sucker? Great question. As long as you keep spending, we'll keep digging. We'll find out together how deep this thing goes. What if you dig so deep you hit hot magma? At least then we'll feel something. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have just heard from a company that truth is stranger than fiction. What they've acknowledged 
is something we wish we could laugh about it, but as I kept reading the interview and the questions and their responses, we feel it deeply. There's a, there's a hole in our lives that we keep throwing resources to. Time, treasure, talent. And it yields nothing in return, and we feel the emptiness of this. And I, 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 I want to laugh, but there's part of me that wants to cry, too. Because people have not understood the heart of God when it comes to what he's entrusted to us. Namely, finances. Jesus makes finances the barometer of our spiritual health. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And unfortunately, too many of us are laying up for ourselves treasures not in heaven, but on earth. And what happens to those treasures on earth? Well, rust, moth, thieves come in and, and ruin it or steal it, destroy it. God, God's got something better. When we, when we talk about this topic, I'm trying to avoid us from creating holiday holes in our hearts. When I speak to this topic, I'm trying to, trying to save us from an unpredictable future, and especially when we live in an economy that the news is, is barraging us day in and day out. Stock market's taking a dive. You know, prices of things are going up. Inflation, interest rates, blah, 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 blah. Well, we've got to focus on something bigger and greater than this. Because if your eyes on the talk, stock market every day, no wonder you're an emotional roller coaster. Your heart has to be anchored to something different. And this is not me setting you guys up for this emotional plea. Go, all right, so give to the church. This is not about giving. This is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. That there's a God who says, I want you to be a generous people to show where your trust really lies. Is your trust in your money or is your trust in God? Because Jesus says you can't serve two pastors. The great theologian Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. How are you doing in this department? Sometimes we don't, we don't come back around and, and talk about this. We think that our, our, our money is like off topic from anyone to just talk about, right? For anyone to ask us about, how are you doing in your finances? Are you honoring God from the first fruits of, of what he's entrusted to you? We don't talk about why, because we all feel the burden of finances. We all, uh, we're all stra being strangled under our debt. But we should take more of a proactive approach with one another, right? We should realize that we need to remind one another that the Bible says you're not owners of anything. You're merely managers because God's given you what you have, so use it for his purposes. We, we feel the weight of this. And I want us to embrace more what Jim Elliott says when he says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. You ever heard that quote? That's awesome. I want you to learn to be a radically generous people to show that your trust is not what you possess, but who possesses you. See, there's a world that, that wants, your, wants you to understand how to control your money, and they don't care one bit about you. They just care about what they want to get out of you. There's a reason why they call it MasterCard. Right? No, no, no. Guys, there's something different. We are given what we're given. 
not just to spend upon ourselves, but to be a blessing to those who perhaps have so little, if anything at all. There's radical need around us. Would you agree with that? And yet there's radical blessings we've received, and we have more than you can ever imagine. We are still in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. There's a website you can go to if you want to check it out. Some of you are like, you like these kind of numbers. Globalrichlist.com. You can enter your income. Globalrichlist.com. Enter your income, and you will see you're among the world's wealthiest people. And yet we live as paupers. Why? Because we think money can bring us happiness. I want us to embrace the spirit of 1 John chapter 3. You know, here's what 1 John says. And I love 1 John. If you ever want, like, sometimes we look for those places in the Bible that, aren't, that, aren't, that are not going to challenge us or convict us. 1 John's one of those where every, like, verse is like, ah, stab in the heart. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16, 17, 18. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So he comes right out and just says, Hey, you're willing to sacrifice your life for somebody, right? Some of us are like, whoa, that might be a little too much. Well, then he's, well, let's talk about our pocketbooks then. If you're not willing to give your life, are you willing to help out financially, right? But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How many of you just want to give a hearty amen to that? There's need all around us. And you've been given so many goods. How is your ability meeting the need? So there's two words. Write those down in your, in your program. There's ability, there's need. Every single one of us has ability. And every single one of us is surrounded by need. What God wants to do this morning is bridge that gap. There's not one person sitting in this room that doesn't have need. And there's not one person in this room that doesn't have ability. How do the two connect? We're going to talk about that this morning. So turn to Acts chapter 11. This is, this is so much fun. I'm super excited about this. I wish it was more than one week, but you know what? We're going to go one week on this topic. We are a church that's about generosity. We'll talk about that here in a bit. But I'm going to tell you there's an equation that we've already been building up to when it comes to generosity, and that's out of the previous verses that we looked at last week. And if you missed any of the previous messages, you can go on thechurchesaverb.org, uh, where you'll find our messages. There's also a, a, a you know, shameless plug, there's a giving page on there too, so uh, thechurchesaverb.org. We don't pass a plate here. We have, an, we have a mailbox over there, and in 20 years of ministry, I've never passed a plate, and God's always provided. That's the good news. And then I think God loves a generous church. This is a generous church, and I celebrate that. So uh, may this morning not only serve as a, as a reminder, but may it serve as an encouragement. And for some of you, may it be a challenge. Because if you've never given, perhaps it's the time to start doing that. And again, it's not about what we want from you. It's what we want for you. We want you to walk in obedience. And I think a follower of Jesus that doesn't give is an oxymoron. I think it's an oxymoron. But more about that here in a bit. First point, we've already looked at this. I'm going to go through it real quick. These will be the fastest two points we have ever, ever heard from Pastor Scott on a Sunday morning. Christ-like conversion, we've already experienced this. You've tasted grace, right? There's, there is now this commitment to grace. We see it illustrated in the life of Barnabas. We talked about this last week, how we need to be 
uh, gracious people because by grace we have been saved. And once you taste that grace, you can't help but want to extend that grace and to live in that grace and to celebrate that grace. And so this is what Christ-like conversion often looks like. You become a gracious person, and there's a world that's starving for grace out there. May we be those agents of grace. Amen? So commitment to, to grace. Number two, see, I told you, we're cruising through this. Christ-like character. Once God establishes that new life in you, that eternal life, he, he plants that seed that is imperishable and changes your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that there's a growth that happens, and that growth is, is initiated by the Holy Spirit that now resides in you, and the fruit of the Spirit will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, right? And, and now there's this commitment to growth. See, it's not just getting saved, it's growing in that salvation, and we do that on Sunday mornings together. We do that through the small groups that, that we offer. And so there's a commitment to growth. We see this in Acts chapter 11. For reminder, go back, if you would, to, to verse 25, 26. Barnabas goes and finds Saul. Saul's been kind of doing his thing without anything really listed and mentioned about him for 10 years. Barnabas goes, I need a partner in ministry. Who better than to get Saul? Saul and Barnabas come back to Antioch where there's this this work of God that's just exploding. And look at verse 26 of Acts 11. And when Barnabas found Saul, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about that for an entire year, for one year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers, and there the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here we see this beautiful picture of this commitment to say, we need to grow deep. It's not just about coming to Jesus, it's about growing in Jesus. So there's got to be a commitment to growth. When grace meets growth, it leads to point number three, generosity. If you're not a generous person, one of the two things that we've mentioned, grace or growth, is out of whack. Or it's non-existent. When you've tasted the goodness of God, and you are growing in that grace... You can't help but be a generous person. So you've got to really take a, a, just a, a hard look at your own heart and take some personal inventory and go, where am I at? Because either grace hasn't been established or growth is not happening. Because those two things, and here's the spiritual equation, grace plus growth equals generosity. And I would tell you that Jesus makes generosity the thing that we need to look at because god doesn't just sanctify your souls he sanctifies your wallet what you do with the money he's entrusted to you shows you who your true master is jesus talks about this topic more than any other topic the bible is replete with teachings on generosity and giving and you'll not hear from me you know you got a tithe tithe is not a new testament concept when we hear tithe, what do we think about? We think about, well, I've got to give, right? I'm give now under compulsion. It's got to be this 10%. I'm going to tell you right now, the Bible actually doesn't talk about 10% tithe. You know this? Some of you are like, wait, what? We've heard 10%. Where did 10% come from? I don't know. The devil? <laughs> the Old Testament, you know how much they were, were required to give? 35% plus. How many of you like 10% better? Let's go back to the 10% days. 35 35% mandatory giving in the Old Testament. Jesus obliterates that. And here's what he says. Be ready to give all. 
Be ready to give all. Why, why are we so fixated on numbers? Well, I think we do it, and I don't think this is a bad thing. We need to start somewhere. And we need to find something to commit to and, and lock into. And, and if, that's, if that's 10%, great. But don't make that the ceiling. Make that the floor. Right? Think about how, the, how you can, you can explain. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I don't know what the rule is as far as the giving. All I know is we need to give more than we can spare. One thing you're going to hear from me this morning is this. Don't you dare tip God. Write that down. Don't tip God. The way we leverage finances makes God look out to be a bellboy, a server at a restaurant. You tip God as if, like, go get yourself something nice to wear. Go get yourself a beer after work today. The God of all creation who spared no expense in saving you you're so unwilling to be generous to him because, and you're going to tip him? I just want to kind of back up because you never know when the lightning's going to come through the building. I'm talking about this because all of us need to be reminded of it. Some of us need a bigger reminder than others. And you guys know my, my purpose, my, my mission statement, I need to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. So what do we he- see here? Look at verse 27. So at this time, the church is, there's grace. Barnabas sees the grace. Remember, we talked about that last week. They're growing, and they can't help but be generous. How is the generosity sparked in this early church? Look at verse 27. Now, at this time, some prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them's name is Agabus. Hello, awesome name. Some of you may be having babies like, I haven't figured out a name yet. Agabus would be pretty stellar right there. Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine in all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. So, you see this young church that is growing in the grace of Christ. They hear word that a famine's coming. The famine hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. And Agabus says, there's a famine coming. And what is the the spiritual knee-jerk reaction of their spirits? We need to collect some money for the church in Jerusalem. I mean, who does this? The Spirit does this. This is called anticipatory generosity. This is saying something is on the horizon, something is going to happen, something is inevitable. What are we going to do about it? And they come together and they, as many as they had had opportunity, all of them were determined to to raise as much money as they could for the church in Jerusalem, who I might remind you were so prejudiced against them in Antioch, they're going, 
We're looking past that. That's what the gospel does. Gospel blurs racial lines, right? Gospel blurs ethnic division. The gospel brings reconciliation. So here's a church that was treated horribly by this other church. And what does this church that was treated horribly do? They say, we're going to bless you guys with an incredible offering. Who does that? The Spirit does that. Five points of application. Let's bust through these if we could. First is this. So this is all in, in the Christ-like concern. So the concern, back to that, that slide, if you would, Johnny, real quick. Christ-like concern is this. There's a commitment to generosity, right? So there's conversion, there's character, there's concern. And the concern resembles that of 1 John chapter 3. You do not ignore the need around you. You act on it, right? And so how is this, how is this sparked? Well, this prophet comes to town named Agabus prophecy. Let's be clear about what prophecy is all about. In the Bible, there were prophets who did two things. They were foretelling prophets and they were foretelling prophets. But eventually the foretelling prophets ministry came to an end once the Bible had been completed. Genesis through Revelation is the prophecy of God given to us. There now exists within the church this gift of foretelling. Whenever you are able to help illumine people's souls or hearts with the word of God, you're doing the work of prophecy. Matter of fact, that's what the word prophecy means. Write this down. It means to shine a light. You are to illuminate someone's life. You, are, you have this ability to, to make it shine. And so what the prophet did, Old or New Testament, was whether they were foretelling or foretelling, they illuminated the darkness in people's lives with the truth of God. And how desperately do we need that today? We need the word to illuminate our hearts. And, and occasionally, the prophets in the Bible were able to illuminate the future and that's what's done here with Agabus. We're going to meet Agabus again in chapter 21 of Acts, so we won't really spend too much time on this. But what you need to know is that Agabus's prophecy came true. History records that there was such a famine that resulted with the flooding of the Nile River in 45 AD that the harvest that came out of Egypt, which was the breadbasket of the region, was damaged greatly by a flood that the entire Roman Empire was impacted. And millions of people died because they couldn't buy food because it was so scarce. Agabus is sharing this news with the church in Antioch about 45 AD. This happens the next year. There's a famine coming. The church says, how do we respond to it? This happened during the reign of Claudius. Claudius came after Caligula, came before Nero. History records that there were at least four famines that took place during the reign of Claudius. But what I love is that Luke doesn't give us this detail for us to be all like consumed with like, oh man, prophecy, foretelling the future. You know why Luke concludes this? He says, because he's always curious, God's heart is for how the church will respond when difficulties come. Ladies and gentlemen, is it not true that once sometimes if you've grown up in the church, you've been around the church, the moment someone mentions prophecy, they start salivating like a hungry dog and they're like, 
let's predict the future. Let's think about the coming of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, the heart of God when it comes to prophecy is not to excite you about the future. It's to prepare you in the present. Prophecy is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to stir our hearts to do the will of God. There are so, pe- so many people that are so future-minded, they're no present good, and I don't want us to be those people. We are stirred to do the heart of God, and here's how the church... Notice, Agabus just gives the news. He doesn't tell them the solution. He doesn't tell the church what to do. The church on its own says, what do we need to do to help them? Oh boy, I want a church like that. I want to be a part of a faith community like that. That says, we don't know what the solution is, but we do know we need to step up and help. I'm sure some questions they asked themselves were, how are we going to take God's word and apply it practically to our lives and community? We've heard of this situation. What does God's word compel us to do? What does God's word want us to do? So they had to work out the solution for themselves. And this is the beauty of each local church is that the local church sometimes responds differently to different situations. But here's the question is, are you responding at all? Because someone else's response is better than your non-response. Can I get an amen from somebody? We do this, why and how? We do it with sound reasoning. We do it with discerning judgment, right? Every situation's unique. We have had situations frequently pop into our laps, and we're going, God, give us understanding, give us discernment, and how? Because we know we need to do something. The question is, what do you want us to do? Second question they maybe asked was, how can we bring blessing into the lives of brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who we don't even know? Who didn't like us for a long time? Maybe they still don't like us, but it doesn't matter. We're going to bless them. They didn't ask, how much do they need? You know when you start asking the question, how much do they need? You're basically saying, how little skin do I need to get in the game to maybe obey God and bless someone else? They said, we're going to go above the bare minimum, and we're going to be sacrificial in our giving. Write that word down, sacrifice, because this is where we, I think we don't understand. We don't feel it. That's why we tip God too often. These people wanted to give as much as they could. Oh, boy. To have a church community that says, we want to give so much. Maybe the church leaders stand at the the offering and say, stop. We don't need any more. You ever been to a church where that happened? I bet not. Maybe the question they ask is, how can we demonstrate our love as a community? Well, they sent this offering by way of Barnabas and Saul to the elders And I think because they wanted so desperately to let the church in Jerusalem know that there's a church in Antioch filled with people who love them, even though they don't know their names. Even though for years and years and years, there's been this division because they were Jews and we're Gentiles. And you know what they did by connecting with another group that was so different from them and so unlike them? They competed against the rampant individualism that existed in their day and exists in our day. You are not an individual in Christ alone. You're part of a collective called the church. And history says, here's what's remarkable, that this event is the first time ever in recorded history one radically different racial group helped out another radically different racial group in history. Now we're moving. Now we're cooking. This young church who's, who's, who's just a 
year or two old in Jesus, has become so tremendously sensitive to the needs of those around them that they are committed to mercy ministries. They're committed. They're determined. Look at the first point. Here it is in your notes. So five applications. Here we go. Principal generosity. How do we get this? Well, so Agabus gives the, the prophecy. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And notice what the church does. They didn't sit there and go, well, give us some time to pray about it. Oh, we need to go have a, have a committee meeting about this. Death by meeting. How many of you experience that on a weekly basis? We don't need no more, any more meetings. No more meetings. We don't need any more like, oh, well, let's play about Just sometimes you just need to respond. And these people, there's a principal generosity modeled because look what they do in verse 29. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined, circle that word, this, ladies and gentlemen, is a word that says we have decided, we have resolved, and we're going to be generous. And we're going to do it willingly, we're going to do it deliberately, we're going to do it individually, we're going to do it corporately. The greatest fuel for this kind of generosity is love and the love that's been given to us by God. Because he's determined to save you. And he spares no expense in doing that. And so these people, the principle is this. We are committed to the welfare and well-being of people. Can I tell you something that breaks my heart when I, when I read and listen to the news? And I'm a news junkie, and you guys can pray for me in this. I listen, and I read, because I want to be aware of, of where our, our culture's at, where our world's at. We, you know, we, we live in a, a context right now, especially in our, our country, where you know, there's, there's gun violence, there's, and there's all sorts of things. And the thing that I've heard more than anything else from people is this, we're tired of, we'll give you our thoughts and our prayers. People who are so hurt, we're tired of your thoughts and your prayers. We need to do something else. And I hear that, and I go, I think that's probably aimed at the church. <laughs> I think that's aimed at maybe faith-based people. And I think it's aimed at just the general easy, like, hey, our thoughts and prayers are with you. And the world's saying, we need something more. We need something more. And I would say there are situations where we need to do more than thoughts and prayers. Amen, church? So there, there's a world that's saying we need more than thoughts and prayers. Now, whether that means I'm going to get behind your proposition or I'm going to vote for your, your bill, that's a whole other matter. But the idea is that perhaps the world is calling out the church to say we need you to be more present in our difficulties. And I would say that's not an, uh, 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 an inaccurate uh, 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 you know, assessment. We need to be more present. We need to be more involved, right? I do think that there are people in our own communities that are like, I'm tired of the church saying, we'll give you our thoughts and prayers. Because if your thoughts and prayers aren't matched by radical commitment to someone's well-being and welfare, your thoughts and prayers are empty. The gospel involves principles. If you want to be principled in your generosity, there is a desire to feed the hungry. There's a desire to clothe the naked. There's a desire to visit prisoners. There's a desire to help bring relief in times of calamity. This is what we're called to do. And let me just tell you, I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I barely make a prophet. But all that aside, here's the thing. I do know that we're living in such desperate economic times. Things are going to get worse before they get better. I'm not only on the ministry end of things, I'm on the small business end of things. 
And I understand what's going on in the world when it comes to supply chain management and inflation and things like that. And I know, and I talk to people throughout the week, people are hurting. People are desperate. And I'm asking myself, first and foremost, how do I need to be a presence of Jesus in this person's life who may lose their job, who may lose their house, who may not have enough to, to fund whatever their next car payment or whatever? I'm thinking to myself, how are we positioning ourselves to be a blessing to people? And I'm not saying that the answer is always financial, but I'll tell you what, sometimes the financial assistance is a means to give in a gospel opportunity there, right? And sharing the good news that there's a God who saves us and loves us and he cares more about your soul, your, your soul than your, where you're at economically and and so we have to ask ourselves how are we preparing because the world is going to experience much more financial earthquakes than sorry experience <sighs> thank you rod but you know what i'm saying people are hurting and if we can somehow be the presence of of this principled generosity that says yeah, God wants to win their soul, but I, I tell you what, but sometimes you need to be the presence of Jesus in someone's life and just give. You know how much Jesus gave to people without expecting anything in return? You know, you know, for many people, Jesus was a free meal. And more people left him than followed him, even after they received so much from him. And Jesus was okay with that. See, we, we, need, to free, we need to ditch the whole you know, perhaps bait and switch mentality. Like, I'm only doing this so that I can invite you to church or I can give you a Bible. Or I can... You need to be generous with no strings attached. Jesus models this for us. But you pray for opportunities to point people to Christ because we have a generous God. Point number two, principle generosity I think leads to a, a pattern, generosity. If you think about this, if you, if you look at verse 29, and in the proportion that any of the disciples had means. Here is the key. Everyone has means. Everyone has an opportunity. We've already seen pictures of generosity in the book of Acts, right down to Acts chapter 2. The church comes together, they're eating, they're drinking, they're hanging out together, and no one had need because everyone looked out for one another. Who wants a community like that? That's awesome. Then in chapter 4, we meet Barnabas, who hears of great need and goes and sells all his property and gives all the money to the church. So here's Barney once again, arriving on the scene, being this model of generosity. See, Barnabas was able to speak to this young church about what he's done. I'm sure the young church was like, tell us about money. How do we handle money now as followers of Jesus? And Barnabas steps up and goes, let me tell you how God's worked in my heart. And then Saul chimes in because he's had 10 plus years of learning how to consider everything as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. He has learned to forsake all to know Jesus. So here's Barney, here's Saul, and they're talking to the church, and the church is just going, oh, we want to be like these guys. But Barnabas and Saul are only able to do what they do because they're following a God who exemplifies this generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Can I tell you, in, just to read on your own, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. 
the greatest treatment of Christian generosity found in the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. But here's the heart. Paul says to the church, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the God who set aside his riches. The prerogatives of being enthroned at the right hand of the Father. And Philippians 2 says he emptied himself and he came and he became a bondservant. Why? Because he considered you more important than himself. Do nothing from emptiness or selfish conceit, but consider others as more important than yourself. And what's the model of this? Paul just jumps into this hymn about Jesus, how Jesus is this ultra-generous, amazing God-man. And so therein lies the pattern. You look at Jesus. And how many times did Jesus talk to religious people? And just so you guys know, we don't, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship with a God who wants to own your heart. He doesn't care about owning your wallet. He cares about owning your heart because once he owns your heart, he owns everything about you. And that's a glad exchange. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, okay, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, go ahead and do this, 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 and this. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all that. And you can almost kind of puffs out his chest a little bit. I've done all that. And then Jesus goes, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. The rich young ruler walks away crying. Because he can't give up that which he truly loves. It was never God to begin with. It was his finances. See, Jesus, did Jesus go, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> did, did I say something to offend you? Come back. Let me, let me backpedal. Let me, let me downgrade the God's demands and expectations. All right, you know what? Forget it. Go ahead. And I love that, the fact that Jesus let him go in mourning and sorrow. Because this man had to work out on his own. Do you love God or do you love his treasure? Ladies and gentlemen, if we understand the gospel, when you remember how much God has done for you and when you focus your concern on the needy, you're going to be motivated to give. Love, by definition, an example is sacrificial. Did you write down that word a moment ago when I asked you to? Sacrifice? God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus is loved is such that he laid aside the wealth of heaven to become a servant, to live this perfect substitutionary, this perfect life, substitutionary death, and, and die for us so that we can have riches beyond our wildest imagination. There's the gospel. Which then leads to point number three, proportional giving. Verse 29, each of them resolved to do something because not doing something was not an option. Every one of them had means. But the question then lies into proportion. And this is what I love about God. is He says, I'll meet you wherever you're at. No one says everyone has to give the same amount. Matter of fact, it's proportional. And so you need to decide in your heart what you're going to do. 
So believers in this text are resolved to give according to their ability, literally how they've prospered. How has God prospered you? And all it takes is a little bit of reimagining, reenvisioning what God has provided for you because there's always something we can do to look at our budget, to look at our finances and give to the Lord. And again, I'm not even saying give to, to, to the church, but what are you going to do for God financially that's going to reveal where your heart truly lies? Start at 10%. Start at 5%. Start at 50%. It doesn't matter because what matters is where you're... God is more honored by the person that gives 5% joyfully than the person who gives 65% reluctantly. Write down the word widow in your notes. You want to know someone who didn't tip God? Is in Mark chapter 4. The offering in the temple was happening. And all the religious leaders were coming in with their, and I'm, I'm imagining they walk like this. You know, they work, they work out and stuff. Um, they're bringing all their, their money, and they're just throwing it in the, the jars, and you can just hear the sound of all the, the money, the coins, everything just, it sounds like Las Vegas when everyone's hit like triple sevens on the slot machines. Not that I go, I love Jesus, but I've heard that's what it sounds like. And then Jesus goes, guys, disciples, come here. And they're looking, and, he, and he's not even saying, look at the, the, the religious leaders. Don't look at the, here comes this little grandma. And she's got this, like, shavings of copper. And she puts them in. And Jesus goes, that is generosity. They all gave out of their abundance. She gives out of her poverty. And the disciples are like, she was ready to give it all. Here's the thing. If God said to you, give it all, would you do it? Because better is the person that has resolved in the heart, if God ever said that to me, I'm ready to do it, than the person who merely goes through life tipping God. This woman just says, I feel compelled to give everything I've got. She doesn't complain. She's not like, look at me. She's just a granny, giving all she's got. And who knows what her life was like after that. I will tell you, she was blessed beyond our wildest imagination because she was obedient. You need to decide what you're going to do. That's between you and God. But the Bible teaches proportional giving. And when you land on something, pray about moving from that, start at 10%, go, God, I want to do 15, I want to do 20. God will reward Sometimes not necessarily materially, but sometimes God just rewards you just from the fact that you're walking in faith and you're being obedient to him. Some other passages, 1 Corinthians 16, look what it says. Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, right? You're being purposeful, you're being, uh, you're being anticipatory, Right? And on the first day of the week, each of you put something aside, store it up as he may prosper. So, again, it changes. 
right? As God increases your standard of living, he also wants to, in that, increase your standard of giving. That's a great little slogan. I don't know where I picked it up, somewhere, Dave Ramsey or something. So that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I'll send these whom you have credited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So Paul says, man, you need to, to be anticipatory of this. You need to be proportional in this. You need to, to, to be ready. You need to be ready spontaneously for opportunities, right? Uh, there's another place you can put down in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter, se- uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. You have to have a plan. Because here's what I know. All I know is I'll get paid, and all of a sudden I spend all my my money on all the bills and all this stuff, and I look and I go, I got nothing left. All right, sorry, God, I'll get you next month. I bet none of you have ever been in that position before. Here's what I do. The moment I get paid, I write that check. God, this is what I've decided in my heart. Me and my household, we're going to honor you. The first fruits go to the Lord our God. And if I have to miss out on a 20-piece Chicken McNuggets on Thursday, then i got to miss out on Chicken McNuggets. Doesn't that sound really good right now? Guilty pleasure. Sorry. Pray for me. But you know what I mean? is, If you're not willing to do it first, there's not going to be anything else left when you choose to do it last. And God says, decide in your heart to make this the first impulse. The moment you get paid, do something for God. And just watch what's going to happen. Decide in your heart, not reluctantly, not because Pastor Scott's got me, oh man, uncle, uncle, okay, Scott, I'll give. I don't want you to do that. I want you to be a cheerful giver. Churches in Africa, the greatest celebration during those worship services in Africa is the offering time. Woohoo, we get to give. Here it's like a funeral dirge. (laughs) All right. God wants your heart to be connected with his heart because he's going to utilize you and your finances for greater things beyond yourself. I'm going to say this. We live in a culture that might say, that does say we love God. But I'm going to tell you right now, here's why we love ourselves more than God. The strangling debt many people are under. You spend money on what you love. And for what I understand, boy, we love this world more than we love God. That needs to change. A.W. Tozer said, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Lay up for yourselves treasures, not of this world but something that you're passing on ahead of you that's going to live for time and eternity and there's only two things the word of God and the souls of men and women how has God moved your heart to invest in those things point number four purposeful generosity Um, how many of you are old enough to remember Y2K much ado about nothing, right? How many of you are still sitting on toilet paper that you uh, hoarded uh, during that time? <laughs> Liars. Okay, whatever. So some of you are like, I still got meals that are going to be surviving 50 years, right? Like, here's what was characterized of the Christian community at Y2K, hoarding. You know what Y2K revealed? 
how much we love ourselves, how self-protective we are, how selfish we are. I love that the, the reaction of this church was, how are we going to help somebody else? They were determined to send relief. Look what it says in verse 29. Each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. The word relief, you know what it means? It means to serve. And the, to serve is reflective of the heart of our God because our God is a God who serves us. Christ comes not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Your serving brings relief. Your serving brings a sense of, oh, I'm allowing somebody else to breathe. I'm, I'm allowing somebody else to have optimism. I'm allowing somebody else to have some hope. Right? This church was so moved to say, we want to set money aside so that whenever the need arises, we're ready and eager to meet that need. It's called anticipatory generosity. And and that, that church in Jerusalem, which was the mother church of this daughter church in Antioch, they're experiencing this boomerang effect, right? They invested spiritually in this church. They sent directly, indirectly believers. And now the gospel is at root in Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and the church is growing, and Barnabas and Saul are there. Now the boomerang effect is what they invested in spiritually is now going to come back to them materially. And how this church is going to be so encouraged, right? And, and they're going to experience, the Antioch church is already knowing this, and they want to pass it on to us, that generosity is the antidote to greed. Write that down. You want to, you want to feel less the tentacles of the world wanting you to love the things of this world? Guess what? Become a more generous person. The, your generosity will release the tentacles of greed around your heart, and you'll become more focus on what Christ has done in modeling grace and generosity to you. These believers are more concerned in preparing aid for others than they are with hoarding whatever they can hoard for themselves. Here's what I love. You've heard me say this. We are a church that believes less for us, more for others. So what we do is we act as that, that, that mediation between ministries, local and abroad. We, we have been a church that has brought relief to so many. And if, I, and if I could just take a moment and just let you know, number one, when it comes to financial stewardship, we're above board. You guys know how frequently we talk about it. We're open about it. Our books are open for anyone to say, hey, if you want to match checking accounts and compare checking, let's do it. Log into your checking. We'll log in. Let's talk about what we're spending our money on. Like, we as a church have nothing to hide. We run a really simple ministry. Why? Because we want to maximize our generosity for the glory and kingdom of God. And the things that we've been involved in over the years, just write these down. In India, we currently support four students for them to have room and food and an education. And we have adopted four Indian students, little kids in elementary school that we personally take care of so that they can grow to know Christ and serve him wherever God wants to take them one day. So we serve in India. We serve in Slovenia. We bought a van for our Slovenian brothers out there so that they can take the gospel into the mountains and to the highways and the byways and, and, and lead these, these kids' ministries through Child Evangelism Fellowship. We work with Pastor Zvanko and Dabruka there in those churches, and we have bought them recording equipment 
so that during COVID, uh, COVID and the pandemic, they can broadcast the message of Jesus for those that are locked in their homes because of, uh, of, of the, you know, the quarantine laws there in Slovenia. And I'm reaching out to Pastor Zvanko in Slovenia and Pastor Caleb in India. How can we continue to bless you guys? Like, I'm anticipating great things, right? And they're, they're sharing with me the things they need to do the work of Christ so that we as this little church in Chandler can encourage them. We're doing work in Saudi Arabia with, with a, a family that's there, and that's a difficult place to do ministry, but they've got a prayer house in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and they're praying for their community, and they're, happen, they're having opportunities to be Jesus to them. And what are we able to do? Help them not have that burden of, of, of living in a very expensive place, and that we can help them be freed up from that burden of finances so that they can be more burdened for the souls of the people that live in Saudi Arabia. And we're working with churches in, in Mexico and just south of the border in Hermosillo and Guaymas and Empalme and Pastor Ulysses, little tiny guy who loves Jesus, gives me spicy peppers when I go to visit him, but I love him. And he does things where they do festivals and they do things in downtown regions of like Hermosillo and they get opportunities to share the gospel with the, the Mexican culture. And, and those are just some of the international things. And what do we do locally? Well, we work with, with ministries right here in Chandler. We work in ministries downtown. Why? Because we care about our neighbors and we care about the people around us. And, and while we're talking about ministries downtown Phoenix and, and in Chandler, what about people in our own mix and how many people that we connect with even within our own church family that need help and we're ready to do that? We, pay, we help pay electricity bills, and we help pay car payments, and we carry around Fry's gift cards. And I get people text me, hey, can I get a Fry's gift card? Someone's in need. I'm like, yes, let's do it. I don't sit there and go, can I fill out this five-page uh, questionnaire in triplicate so we can understand? No. Someone says I have need. There's a single mom who just lost her job and has got two kids. Why wouldn't we want to bless them with a Fry's gift card? Let's keep the fridge full. Let's keep their pantry full, right? Someone is having a hard time meeting, making ends meet. There's a marriage that's maybe in difficulty and they need to get some counseling. Why not pay for counseling so that they can get the, the professional help that they need? The list goes on and on and on. But we are free to do that. Why? Because enough for us and more for others. We are not here so Pastor Scott can have a nicer car. I drive an 18-year-old Toyota Sequoia that's approaching 200,000 miles, and doggone it, I love it. And I don't want anything more than that. Yeah, first lady doesn't need her own parking spot. She's got a cool car. It's nicer than mine. It's got serious radio. <laughs> See, for us, that's like arriving in our house, right? We go on vacation just to watch cable TV because we don't have cable TV because we love Jesus. But there's all that stuff aside. <laughs> We live simple lives. Like, my backyard is trash, and my wife's continuing to clean up the backyard. I'm like, why? When we get to love people who love Jesus, what do I got to prove? I have a clean backyard to impress you? I don't want to impress you. I want to walk with Jesus with you. Can I get an amen from somebody? That is no excuse not that I'm not cleaning my backyard. We drive old cars. We live in an old neighborhood, and doggone it, we're content and we're satisfied because we're doing the will of God. We're not, and we're debt-free, and we're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. People go, yeah, well, the, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, the water bill's higher, too, so good luck with that. Let me know how that works out for you. you got to dial it back. The heart of contentment is key. We're chasing too much stuff that doesn't matter in time and eternity. And I don't want any one of us to have an Oscar Schindler moment. Right at the end of his life, he is, he is falling to the ground crying because he is a German businessman who realized too late that he could have done more with the stuff that was entrusted to him to save the lives of people that were dying all around him. Last point, we'll close with this. 
prudent generosity. What does prudent mean? It means being wise, being discerning. I've already, I've already told, like, we are a church that we, we believe in accountability and we believe in trusted leadership. And I've surrounded myself with men and women, and we just want to do what God wants us to do and be moved to support what God wants us to support. And there's, no, there's nothing that's not ac- accountable. I've got a guy who has our finance team, Brian. I love Brian. Dude, this guy is like to the T. What, what's going on? What's this $5 for, right? And I'm like, kind of like, dude, it's like for Post-its. Well, <laughs> that's good, right? Because you don't want to hear. Football season's upon us. There's a Hall of Famer guy named Brett Favre. Or how do you pronounce Brett Favre. You guys know what's going on with Brett Favre right now, right? He's being investigated for a scandal because he siphoned $5 million that should have went to the needy, and he siphoned it to build a volleyball stadium in Mississippi. And it's come to be known that this has been going on a long time, and actually $70-plus million has been siphoned from the needy to pat the pocketbooks and to build buildings and to pay for uh, rehab centers in Malibu, California, and it didn't go to the people that needed it. And Brett Favre is, is one of the guys who is helping siphon money to go build a volleyball stadium. And $70 million didn't go to people that needed it desperately that live in Mississippi. There's no accountability. There's, that when you hear stuff, it erodes trust. And I refuse to be a person that says, I want to be involved in anything like that. We need churches to be better, to do better. Instead of building monuments to our glory, we need to be existing for the glory of God and impacting souls for time and eternity. Right? We don't need to make sure pastor drives a nice car. I get around from point A to point B. That's all you need to worry about. We're not going to build edifices to ourselves. We're going to build lives for the glory of God that are rooted in Christ so that in time and eternity, God says to us, well done, good and faithful servants. That's Brett texting me right now. How come you're talking about me? There needs to be accountability. And how many times does that whole accountability come back to the church because people see the church as taking money for themselves and not doing anything good with it? Just in my men's group on Friday morning, we're in Ecclesiastes. Shameless plug. Dudes, wake up at 6 a.m., come get a free cup of joe. Let's talk about Jesus. You're out of here by 7. I guarantee it's going to impact your lives. When there's churches in California that are running $10 million budgets to keep their windows clean, and they're barely giving 1% to their local community that's diving of starvation and and no shelter, those churches need to be held accountable. Enough for us, more for others. And so this church in Antioch said, Barnabas, Saul, we've collected so much money. And I'm sure Barnabas and Saul are like, okay, we need to stretch for this. This is going to be, uh, it's going to require a lot of our strength, right? Here we go. We're taking the offering to Jerusalem. And Paul recounts the offering taken to Jerusalem in, in Galatians 2. Write that down, Galatians 2, verses 1 through 10. He talks about this event and how the church of Jerusalem was impacted. Because at one point they didn't have need, now they have need, and an unknown church with unknown believers that they considered out of the grace of God has now blessed them abundantly. 
That's the kind of world I want to live in. Pray for leadership. Pray for a generous church. Pray that there's accountability and pray that we continue to live in the vein. Enough for us, more for others. And let's continue to celebrate. Not just giving, but when you send money, you also send people. And I was just talking to someone about this uh, today and, and the other. We're getting ready to plan some, some opportunities to go international to see what God's doing with the gospel in other locations. Get your passports ready because you're going to go witness the work of God, the hand of God that's actively working and changing lives. And we, we get to be a part of that. And all God's people said, Am I breathing enough? Am I doing okay? Okay. Blood pressure's up a little bit. If I had an eye watch, someone want to buy me an eye watch, I would be able to detect my oxygen. And my, just kidding, I don't need it. I don't do Apple. I love Jesus. But that's another story for another time. So um, there's so much more we can talk about we're not going to. But I've given you enough. If you're curious about more, uh, I, I want you to read, if, you, if you're into reading, Randy, Randy Alcorn wrote a little book called The Treasure Principle. Fantastic. You want to connect with Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University? Maybe we'll we'll offer some classes here coming up. Check out Dave Ramsey's website. Lots of good financial stuff there. Um, you need to come up with a plan because no plan doesn't honor God. Coming up with some plan to do something is better than doing nothing. Amen. So, lean on me. Ask me about additional resources. I want to connect you because I want us to become a more generous church so that we can impact the kingdom for time and eternity. All right, enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the body, this family, this community of believers that love them, appreciate them so much. Every man, every woman that's in this room is, is, is so important. Lord, not only have they been touched by your grace, but Lord, we want to we move in accordance with that grace we've received. We want to step out. We want to we want to live for you. We want to we let the world know that our treasure is not in the things of this world. Our treasure is a person. His name is Jesus. He has brought us contentment. He has brought us satisfaction. And there's nothing we wouldn't do and there's nothing we wouldn't give for him. Help us to live with that mentality that John talks about where, where we exist in a world where there's need all around us. Help us to be men and women of, of, of not just talk and speech, but word and deed and action. Lord, where the church is present, there should never be need. Move our hearts towards that for your glory, for our good, and for the opportunities to share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with. Thank you for today. Thanks for loving us in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face toward you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.